0: You are listening to the Long Hollow Students podcast. For more information and to stay updated, follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at LH Students. It's a remarkable story, and and, and I'm excited about uh, what we're going to do each week as we kick off our series. I'm not who I was. Many of you guys have shirts on uh, that you got. Those were one first come, first serve. So if you didn't get one, I apologize, but. Um, what we want to do is we want to challenge you guys every week to wear these shirts as, uh, as advertisement for what's going on uh, here at Long Hollow, but also what's going on in your life. And if you didn't get a shirt, we've got cards that we want you to use and utilize those as invite cards, because what we want to do in this series is spotlight testimonies like Derek's of, of encounters with Jesus and how we are not who we once were because of that encounter. And what we're going to do in our series is we're going to look at different passages and different characters in the scripture who had encounters with Jesus. And, and most of them, all of them but one, we're not sure about the last one, um, walked away differently and they are not who they were because of that Encounter, And so we want to encourage you to invite people, use these shirts and use those cards as an opportunity to share your faith with somebody, uh, remembering the go and tell wall, but also um, also just to get them to come and see what God's doing here because I believe that uh, what you guys are doing here is phenomenal. We want people to be a part of the family, right? That's one of our house rules. So uh, part of our house rules are we are family. And if you are new here, if you've never been here, welcome uh, to the family. If you're here every week, man, thank you so much for coming weekend week out. We are glad that you guys chose to spend time with us here. We do not take that for granted. Now, many of you guys uh, know me, and y'all know that baseball, outside of my wife, is one of the most Talked about things that come out of my mouth. Uh, It's either Amy or baseball. It's it's, it's a given, right? I'm going to talk about that. And so if you know that, then you know that one of my favorite times of the year was last week when opening day of baseball happened. Nobody's going to cheer for that because none of them fools ain't here. They're all playing baseball tonight. They don't love Jesus. No, I'm kidding. So uh, what I love about baseball are so many things. But one of the things I love about baseball uh, is. The artwork that takes shape in the form of grass. It is incredible to see how these guys can shape fields, how they can line them, how they can dominate them, how they can put stinking like that in there. Like, how does that even happen, you know? Or the Aggies, not an Aggies fan, I just thought that was pretty awesome. And it amazes me how something that is so small, it is so simple, that is seemingly dead, is brown can turn into something so vibrant and so alive. Isn't that, isn't that incredible? Would anybody agree that that's incredible? Like you don't have to be a baseball fan to appreciate that. Like that's awesome. What's crazy is when, when I was playing, uh, some of the fields were played on in college, when the ball would be hit to the outfield, it would actually skip off those lines. Isn't that crazy? Anyway, side note. So uh, what, what makes it, but what makes grass come to life? Anybody know that? There's one key. Yes, there's multiple factors, but what's the one thing? Gives it its color. What is it? Light. Awesome. So light, right? We would say that light is what gives grass life. Now, yes, water is crucial, and yes, the soil that it's put in is crucial, but the sunlight is what makes it come to life and vibrant and stand up tall. Now, to Jesus juke the baseball field for a second, the same is true for you and I as believers. Just as the light, the sun, S-U-N, gives the grass life, we as believers, the son of God, Jesus, the S-O-N, is what gives us life. It's what breathes life into us. And we need it. Just like the grass can't grow without light, we as believers can't grow without the son of God, without Jesus in our life. And and, and as we begin to continue, or as we continue to talk about the Go and Tell initiative, I want you to hear this, that as you go and tell, as you begin to share your faith, um, and you're doing amazing, by the way, incredible job. How many ping pong balls are dropped in there? If you went to Mission Trip, make sure you write one on there and drop it in there. There you go. Um, But it's amazing to see the balls growing, and and it's getting taller and taller and taller here and in Gallatin. And so um, it's incredible, but as you share your faith, remember that, you can't make that seed grow. All you can do is plant it and hope that the sun, so that Jesus can, can make that seed grow. And one of the things we're going to talk about tonight is this our big idea is Jesus makes dead things come to life, Jesus makes dead things come. To life now. If you got your Bibles, I hope that you you have those with you in the physical form. I know you got the digital copy. I'm gonna trust that you're on on Instagram or Snapchat or texting somebody next to you or across from you. You wish you were sitting beside. You're gonna use it for uh, you version and you version only. Uh, we're gonna be in John chapter 11, and we're going to look at what scholars would say. Most scholars would say is the most incredible miracle that Jesus ever performed. Now, we know that he performed a ton of miracles, like the feeding of the 5,000, the bringing the blind man back to sight, all these things. But most scholars would say that this miracle, of him bringing his friend Lazarus back from the dead, would be one of the most remarkable miracles that Jesus would ever perform. And we see that in John chapter 11. And what I've done is I've broken down today's message in three things. I'm going to give you the whole message right here at the beginning. Don't cheat and write them in just yet. Wait till I give you them point by point. But here's where we're headed. We're going to see three things. We're going to see that Jesus uh, reaches, Jesus removes, and Jesus resurrects. So that's where we're headed today. And remembering our big idea that Jesus makes dead things come to life. So if you're in John chapter 11, we're going to pick up in verse 1. It says this. Now a man was sick, Lazarus, from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair. And it was her brother Lazarus who was sick. Verse 3. So the sister sent a message to him and said this, Lord, the one that you love is sick. When Jesus heard it, he said, the sickness will not end in death, but it's for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha, her sister, and Lazarus. So when he heard that, that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Then after that, he said to his disciples, let's go to Judea again. Let's pray. Lord, we are grateful for... Um, this night, God, we're, we're grateful for the opportunity we have week in and week out to come and to sit and to listen to your word, God. And you give us uh, an amazing place to do that, God. We thank you for the students, God. I thank you for the leaders that we have here. Lord, would you do something in our lives tonight? May we walk away here different than we came in. And it's your name we pray. Amen. So point one is, like I said, Jesus reaches. Everybody say reaches. Awesome. So Jesus Reaches And what that means is this, Jesus reaches out to us as individuals and he he reaches out to us right where we are. Another way to say that maybe is Jesus um, meets us where we are. So where you are, maybe physically sitting right here now, or it's just where you are in the environment, where you are spiritually, that Jesus reaches out to you right where you are. Now, did you guys catch what I said when I was reading that, those verses? It said that, um, that Jesus gets this news of a good friend of his, a close friend of his. The one that Jesus, uh, the whole running joke of when I was growing up is the shortest verse of the Bible is Jesus what? Wept. That's in this passage right here. Jesus wept because he was a good friend of his, was sick. When well, he wasn't sick, he died. And so he gets this news, and then it says that he waited two days. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read this for the first time a long time ago, I'm sitting there going, now, this makes no sense. Now, why would Jesus, the one that could literally go to that man, heal him right there, and everything be good, why would he wait two more days? Why didn't he drop everything and attend to his friend's illness? He says, I'm going to wait two more days, but why? So why does Jesus wait? See, I believe that Jesus waits because he knows how to best reach us as individuals. He knows how to reach his people. And he tells his disciples in verse 11, he says, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. But I am on my way to wake him up. Now, let me clarify what Jesus is saying here, because even the disciples are a little confused, right? As you begin to read, as we'll see in a second, that the disciples are confused, right? he's asleep, then what's the big deal, right? And, and I kind of had the same thought when I first read it, but verse 12 clearly says that, that Jesus is going to explain what that means. That he said this. He said, the disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, then he's going to get well, right? That makes sense. If he's asleep, he's going to get well. He's just chilling, right? He's sleeping Like, I don't know about you, but does anybody, is anybody like a whiner when you like get the flu or allergy seat? Anybody with me? It's mainly guys, right? Colton, thank you. Thank you for being honest. Like, my wife hates it when I get sick, and she has no sympathy for me whatsoever, by the way. If I say that I'm sick, she's like, I don't care. Like, this is how it is in my household. But for me, when I get the flu or when I had allergies or something like that, I just want to sleep. Like, I just want to take a nap and just hope that it goes away or just life will go on and I'll be fine right here where I'm sitting. Anybody with me? That's how I am. That's not what's happening here. Like Lazarus doesn't have like a, a cold and a runny nose or the flu. Uh, he's asleep, meaning he is what? He's dead. He is no longer breathing. He is a dead man. And verse 13 says this. Jesus, however, was speaking about his death, but they thought that he was speaking about a natural sleep. I love this. Verse 14. So Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. I'm like, he's like, you fool. Like he's dead. Like just listen to me. He's dead. And I said earlier that Jesus waited because he knows how to best reach his people. Now, Jesus always has a plan. Now, whether you believe that or not, Jesus always has a plan for his people. Now, here's the deal with that, though. His plan may look a little bit different for each of us individually because he reaches out to us in different ways because we all have different personalities, right? What catches my attention may not necessarily catch your attention. My parents disciplined me differently than they disciplined my brother because I was a bad kid, right? So how he gets our attention is different. But the one thing that is always consistent and always the same is this. Even though the plan may look different, the purpose is always the same, and that's to give God the glory. His purpose is to always give God the glory and to put that on display. Look at verse 15. He says, I'm glad for you that I wasn't there so that you may believe, but let's go to him. You see, this verse shows us that Jesus is all-knowing. He, he said, I'm glad that you weren't there because what I'm going to do is gonna blow your mind. What I'm about to do is going to rock your world, and not just your world, but everybody that is around you. You see, he's all-knowing. A fancy word that we use in the church I learn the seminary and all this stuff is the word omniscient. That's what this word means. Omniscient means all-knowing. Omniscient means all-knowing. Everybody say omniscient. omniscient. Say all-knowing. All knowing. Omniscient. omniscient. All-knowing. If I were to ask you what the word omniscient means, why would you answer that? Right, there you go. You just learned something. That's awesome. Jesus is trying to show, that his, show his disciples and us as the reader. So he's, he's walking side by side with these people, right? This is a conversation he's having with real people. Just like you had a conversation with some friends of yours today, Jesus is talking to his friends. So he's letting his friends know, but he's also letting us know as we begin to read this word, what is going on now. But also he's like, man, I got something planned and what's going to happen? You see, he's not only going to reach his disciples and Lazarus's family and his people that are close to him, but he's going to, he's going to reach everybody that is there that is mourning the death of their friend. You see, Jesus is always on time. We read this and we go, why would he wait? Why would he wait two more days? But we know that Jesus is always on time. Now, I'm sure if I was to have a conversation with each of you individually, if I had the opportunity to do that, you would say that, There's probably times in your life, I know this is true for me, that there's probably been times in your life when you're just going, Jesus, will you just hurry up? Like you've been praying, you've been asking, you've been begging God maybe that you would just answer me, that you would reveal yourself to me, that you would show me what your plan is in this, but Jesus, you are just taking too much time. And what I want to encourage you with tonight is this. I want you to think about what Jesus may be showing you in the waiting that yes, we want things to happen really quick because we live in a microwave culture, but, but Jesus may be trying to slow you down, to show you something. And I want to encourage you not to rush through those moments. Don't rush through the pain. Don't rush through the heartache. Don't rush through the things that Jesus may be using to show you. Because here's what's true. Though he doesn't have to prove himself to you, Jesus doesn't owe us anything, but often he do, oftentimes he does choose to reveal himself to us and to prove himself to us. You see, Jesus waited four days for a reason. Now, I want you to write this down. Waiting time isn't wasted time. Waiting time isn't wasted time. It's part of his communication to us and his part of reaching out to us. I've heard it said this way, that Jesus is in full control of the situation at hand. Jesus is in full control of the situation at hand, that there are no accidents in the economy of God. I love this. That there's no accidents in the economy of God. God is working everything in your life together for the good and his glory. Pastor Robbie said that. And and here's what that means. All things. All things together. So what he's doing is he's taking this situation, he's taking this tragedy, he's taking this good thing, he's taking all these things. And you know what he does? He brings them together. And he works all of those things together for your good and his glory. And it's all with the purpose and it's all with the plan. And he's trying to show you this. And Robbie goes on to say that God's choice of instrument, oftentimes, and this is hard for us to understand, but it's very, very true in my life, that his choice of instrument to get our attention is often what? Suffering. And that's hard for us in our finite minds to, to think about and to fathom how a loving God would cause us to suffering. But as we f- learned a few weeks ago, that oftentimes God uses evil and suffering in the world to reveal his glory to people. And for me in my life, the valleys have been the most times where I've grown in my relationship with Jesus, and I'm sure you would say the same. Now, we enjoy the mountaintops, right? We love those times, but it's often we learn and we grow and we're strengthened in the suffering. C.S. Lewis says in his book, in The Problem of Pain, he says, pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. He says it's a megaphone that rouses a deaf world and maybe you're in here tonight and maybe you're, you're you're you feel spiritually dead like this weight inside of you like your heart you ever been there where your heart like you you just feel like this dead like it's this weight is on your chest and you just can't breathe and maybe that's you tonight and you're just going man I'm just struggling I'm just struggling I'm just waiting for Jesus to reveal himself to me and have you ever stopped to think about that maybe the reason for your struggling is so God can get your attention There's just one thing that God's got planned for you that if you don't happen to go through this, he doesn't allow this to happen, that that what's going to happen in the future may not happen otherwise. And, And the more you ignore it, the more it persists, the more it just weighs on you. Like you want it to go away, you wish it to go away, but it just won't. I think Jesus is trying to tell you tonight that, listen to me, continue to wait, continue to ask, continue to want me to show you what it is, but just be Be patient in the waiting. Remember, Jesus reaches you where you are, and he makes dead things come to life. So sometimes in order for Jesus to reach us where we are, to meet us where we are, he has to remove some things. Uh, That happened for me a lot. Jesus had to remove some obstacles, and he does that for Lazarus. There's a tomb. Lazarus is in a tomb, and there's a a stone, right? So there's something separating him from, from Jesus, so Jesus has to remove the obstacle. Look at verse 17. It says, When Jesus arrived... He found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, less than two miles away. Many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them about their brother. As soon as Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Verse 21. Then Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Yet, even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. You see, Martha runs out and she greets Jesus when he arrives on the fourth day. Remember, Jesus waited two days. It's four days now. And the reason that the waiting is significant is this, is that in the Jewish culture, for whatever reason, they believed that once the person passed away, that the spirit would seemingly hover over the body and they would basically just wait for them to possibly come back to life. And so Jesus knew that if he waited to the fourth day, if he waited two days, it would be four days before he got there, which the Jewish people would say he is what we say in Arkansas, D-E-D, dead, right? Anybody tracking with me? He's dead. Lazarus is dead. There's no possibility of him coming to life. And so Jesus knew that if that was true, if the people knew that he was dead, there's no hope of him coming back, that God's glory would be made even more clear, that there's no chance for anything else bringing him back to, death, or to, uh, to life. And how we know that he's dead, that he's D-E-D, dead, is in 39, is this. It says, Lord, his body already smells which is gross, it's too late. She says that it's already smelling. It's too late, Jesus. You see, you can't get any further from Jesus than where Lazarus is in this moment. You can't get any further from Jesus than your body physically being in a grave. There's no other way. You can't get any further from him, but soon we're going to see that That Jesus removes the obstacle and allows the dead man to come to life by him removing that obstacle. You see, verse 23 says, your brother will rise again, Jesus told her. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection of the last day. But Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. this key right here, do you believe this? Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him, I believe you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who comes into the world. Students, what obstacles does Jesus need to remove in your life tonight? What obstacles are in your life that is hindering your relationship with Jesus? And Jesus is trying to show, maybe even in your pain and your suffering, that there are things in your life that he needs to remove. Now, for me, in high school, that was me being a good kid. I was, I was saved at eight years old. I was a good kid. I grew up in a Christian home, all the, the typical, you know, churchy kid. And I, but I was a good kid. I was a good kid. I was a good Christian athlete. I the the good girl who had a good family. But I would find my security in being good. And what that did was that hindered me from walking daily with Jesus because I just had to be good enough. And if I was good enough, then I was great, right? And so I didn't have to spend time in His Word. I didn't have to spend time praying and and communicating with Him on a daily basis. See, as long as I was good, then people would see Jesus in me. But what I missed was I was painting a false picture of what walking with Jesus really looked like. And it wasn't until my college age, when I was a junior in college, that God revealed Himself to me and I spiritually came to life and I got it. And that passion and that zeal and that excitement of Jesus being in me was truly lived out because I wasn't hindered by being the good kid anymore. I was hindered. I was, I was strengthened by wanting to follow Jesus and just following Jesus. I didn't care what, how you thought I was, I didn't care that you thought I was good. I just wanted you to know that I loved Jesus. And I felt like Jesus brought me to life. You see, Jesus really does make dead things come to life. See, my obstacle was being good. What is yours? What's that obstacle in your life? Maybe you're the believer, you've grown up in church, you've been here, you've done it, you've seen it, you've heard the message, you roll your eyes. When we talk about a passage you've heard before and you're like, I get it, I've done it. But there's still an obstacle in your life that God has chosen to harden your heart maybe. And, or maybe you're, you once had that passion and that zeal, but you don't because there's an obstacle in your life. And that obstacle may be sin in your life or it may just be a friend group in your life. God may be trying to show you right now that you need to remove yourself from a friend group, or you need to need to, to enhance your friend group with the gospel, or maybe it's a relationship that you're in, and it's unhealthy, or maybe it's good, but it's distracting, and it, Jesus needs to remove it, and he's trying to. That was my story. He tried to remove it. I didn't want him to. Maybe it's this, and this is the overarching thing for your generation right now, is busyness. is you're too busy to focus on Jesus. You love him, you know you do, you have a relationship with him, but you're too busy to spend time with him. You're too busy to make Wednesdays a priority. You're too busy to invite your friend to come because you know that you would then have to show up every time. But here's what I know is true, and I'm probably gonna lose half the crowd when I say this, so I hope I don't, but we say we're too busy, but the average teenager spends 17 hours a week, and I think that's low, playing games like Fortnite and PUBG. But we're too busy to spend time with Jesus. I had one of my D group guys over laughing; they drive me nuts on Tuesday mornings at six thirty. They ain't listening to a single word I'm saying. I mentioned I mentioned Fortnite. They're like, "What'd you say?" I'm like, "Oh my gosh, you fools ain't got no sense." But maybe it's maybe it's that. Maybe it's you're the gossip girl. Maybe you're the mean girl in the room, and you're you're friends with this girl to her face right now. But then you turn around and you talk about her behind her back. And because of that, God can't use you to your full potential. And maybe you're the girl in here that needs to go to someone that maybe they've shamed you or wronged you or maybe you've done that to them and you need to make things right. Because you sitting in this service, knowing you've got beef, it's biblical by the way, if you've got beef with a brother or a sister, that Jesus says to make that right. And so if you're coming in week in and week out, you're walking through the hallways with beef with somebody, Jesus can't use you. He can use you, but he won't use you. Because you won't allow him to. He needs to remove that. Or maybe it's one of the greatest outside of business is your phone is the greatest, I think, the greatest enemy that any of us can have in our, in our, in our hands. Because you're probably, and the majority of you are like, Mom, uh, you're the only mom. Dad, you're the only dad that makes me put my phone downstairs and not keep it in my room at night. You're the only parent. I can promise you this. If you've got a parent that asks you to put your phone downstairs or in another room at night, they love you a lot because I can tell you story after story after story with guys and girls that are addicted to pornography because it's so simple to sit at home in your bed at night and scroll through Instagram and scroll through things and look at things that are so accessible to you these days. Maybe Jesus needs to remove that phone from your life so you can focus on him. So maybe it's that sin, maybe it's that addiction, maybe it's doubt Maybe it's just doubt, I don't believe this, I can't believe this, or things have happened and it's hard for me to wrap my mind around it. Derek uh, would, would tell you that he doubted his salvation. He even, even now he wrestles with the salvation because it's hard, but he has freedom now. So maybe it's doubt for you. You see, Martha didn't doubt who Jesus was. He knew that he was able to do what he could do. You see, when Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life, he is talking about the final resurrection for believers on the last day. That there's going to come a day when us as believers are reunited with Jesus, and our bodies will raised from the dead. And that sounds crazy, and it sounds like some movie or something, but it's true. And the amazing thing, and the amazing truth is this, and I love how, how Robbie said this, was Jesus is what he gives. Jesus is what he gives. And what I mean by that is this, Jesus not only can give the bread from heaven when he fed the five thousand but he is the bread of life jesus can not only give life to a light to a blind man he can also he is the light of the world he not only shows the way to god but he is the way the truth the life and not only can jesus raise the dead on the last day he is the resurrection so jesus gives what he is he gives bread he is bread he Gives life, he is life. So when Jesus asked Martha this question, he didn't ask if she thinks that he can raise her brother from the dead. She already knows he can do that because she has faith. She believes. She said yes. See, he's asking if she personally believes that Jesus is the resurrection. Not can he, but is he resurrection and life? Saying, do you believe that I alone can give you eternal life? Which leads me to my third and final point. Jesus resurrects. Jesus resurrects. Look at verse 38. Verse 38 says, Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. Remove the stone, Jesus said. Martha, the dead man's sister, told him, Lord, there is already a stench. It's still kind of nasty to think about. But because he has been dead for four days, Jesus said to her, Did I tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? He's asking that. Didn't I tell you that if you believed that you'd see the glory of God? He's like, I'm about to show you something, girl. Verse 41, so they removed the stone. Then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you you heard me. I know that you always hear me, but because of the crowd standing here, I said this. I love this. So that they may believe you sent me. After he said this, he shouted with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. That kind of trips me out, by the way. The dead man came out, bound hand and foot with linen strips, and with his face wrapped in a cloth, Jesus said to them, unwrap him and let him go. It's exactly the way you're picturing it, by the way. Like, anybody seen the movie Mummy? Anybody? Y'all watch the movies. Don't act like, it's like, can I say that I watched that movie? Yes, you can watch the movie. But it's not like all like weird and he's like flying around with a big mouth or anything like that. He's like probably walking out. I don't know what it looks like, but... It's exactly what it sounds like, a mummy. Like, he's wrapped up in, in, in like, white stuff. And he comes out, and I'm like, I don't know if he's, like, got the hands out and that whole shindig, or he's like, I'm here. Like, I don't know what that looks like. But we know that he's about to walk out of the grave. Think about that. What if he did that? Anyways. Lazarus. Anyway. Gotcha. Jesus is like, got him. Anyway, Jesus has reached the tomb. He's there. He's, he's at the tomb. He's looking at the tomb, and there's a, there's a stone in his way, and he's got to remove that obstacle. He's got to remove that stone. So when he says, Lazarus, come out of the grave, Lazarus can then what? Walk straight up out of the grave. You see, there's, there's no doubt that Lazarus is dead. There's no doubt. We read it, we see it, and we believe it, right? Lazarus is dead. He smells weird. He's about to come out. He's dead. But for some reason, for us, it's hard for us to wrap our minds around the fact that we could be spiritually dead. That you may physically be breathing, but you are inside dead. Because remember when I was talking about that just like the grass can't have life without sun, we can't have life without Jesus. You're inside spiritually dead and you're just wanting something to breathe life into you. And then one thing is Jesus, but you're not allowing him to do that. Why is it so hard for us to wrap our minds around you? See, without Jesus, Lazarus would still be in the grave. Without Jesus, Lazarus would still be dead. And the same is true for you and I. Ephesians 2 1 says this: it says, You were dead in your trespasses and sins. Me, At eight years old, I was dead. Inside, I was dead. I was separated from Jesus. I was separated from heaven. I was separated from God because of the sin that I was in. Even at eight years old, I was separated from Jesus. that He came into my life and he rescued me and he breathed life into my soul. And from eight years old, God has shown himself to me. And I haven't been perfect and I've struggled on things that have happened in my life that were great and were bad and were indifferent. But Jesus breathed life into me. Now I can only imagine what was going on with some of the people murmuring around. I would, I, I can imagine that some people were probably going. He's too he's too far gone. Like I see him, but Lazarus is dead. He's been in there. I mean, and it, it smell. He's dead. Jesus, you're too late. You're just too late. And maybe you're in here and you're going, God, I just I've done too much. God, I, I'm too far gone. Jesus, you're too late. You see, you know the depths of your heart. You know the things that that you struggle with. You know the things that you need Jesus to remove out of your life, and you're going, Lord, there's no way that you could love me enough to save me and to rescue me and to breathe this life into me. Listen to me. You're never too far gone. And above that, (laughs) Jesus is never late. He knows exactly what you need. He wants to reach you where you are. He wants to remove the obstacle in your life and he wants to breathe life into you and raise you from the dead spiritually. You see, no one is too deep in their sin where God can't bring them from death to life. Jesus makes dead things come to life. But if you think about this picture in a different sense and you think about the people that are standing there and you look, can you just picture it for a second? Like, we all have imaginations and we're all brilliant, right? So let's think about this. Here is a crowd of people. There's Jesus. And there's a tomb and there's a rock. And then he says, move this rock out of the way. The rock is out of the way. He's reached the tomb. And then he literally says, Lazarus, come out. Maybe right now he's saying... Anna, come out, Tyler, come out, Jonathan, come out, Joshua, come out, Tim, come out. And he's yelling right now at your soul, and he's saying, come out, because you are spiritually dead. But here's what's crazy. He says Lazarus comes out, and he straight up comes out of the grave, and he walks. And I can only imagine what the people were doing. They're going... Are you, are you kidding me right now? He's, he's physically walking, he's dead four days, he's coming out and they probably begin to talk and they probably begin to like, what? And they probably begin to like, can you believe this? Like, like can you see this? And then some passed out because they're freaked out and it smells weird and they're like, he's walking and they're shouting and they're praising and they're going, he is who he says he is. He is the resurrection and the life. He brought this dead man to life. Jesus makes dead things come to life. Can you see that? Can you picture that? Isn't that not amazing? But even more amazing than that picture is, because that is a true story, he wants to do that with you. He wants to do that in your life. He wants to revive you. He wants to bring that dead weight that's inside of you that is holding you down. You see, maybe you're a believer in here, and you've given your life to Jesus, and you know the day. You know the moment. You know it. But all the things, all the obstacles, all the things in your life, Jesus is not able to use you right now because you won't allow him to remove it. Tonight, i want to ask you, I wanna ask you students, high school students, y'all are on the verge of just doing something, I mean, just amazing. We've been praying for you and praying for you and praying for you that this group of high schoolers would remember the day that Jesus revived them and breathed life into you. And because of that, you're passionate because here's what we know the excitement came from. The excitement came from the anticipation and when they saw the life come to, or the dead man come to life, It impacted them in such a way that they were excited about it. But where we are right now, my fear is that we have so many of you that have have Jesus is in you, Jesus is walking with you, but you are not excited about it. You see, when Jesus touches lives, it brings out excitement, it it brings out passion, it brings out compassion, it brings out all these things. But some of us, we're not walking around like, we live that, like we're alive, that we're vibrant, we're brilliant. Jesus is saying, let me use you. Let me remove that obstacle. You're right, you're this close, you're right there. Let me just move it so I can use you. And you can rock this community. Maybe some of you are going, I don't have that. I can't have that. I've too far gone. Like you said, that I don't believe it. I've got doubt in my life. I've got all these things going on. And I weighed it down and my heart is heavy. And and, and, and and there's no way God can love me. Jesus can love me. I'm telling you, Jesus loves you and he wants to revive you tonight. He wants to bring your dead soul to life tonight. He wants to take that depression, that anxiety, that fear, that whatever, you name it, and he wants to grab it and he wants to toss it and he wants to raise you from the dead. But you have to let him. Some of y'all are so like, I just want to go, I want to do it. Like Kenny Palace. she's always like, I just want to go. Then Go! Then go. Students, we have got to figure out with smiles on our faces how we can walk out of these doors and be the church that impacts our schools, our community, our homes, and all the things that we come in contact with. Because when we walk into the room, people see Jesus and people get excited about what Jesus is doing. And that's about you. And people see you and people's lives are changed because of what God is doing in your life. So what I want to do right now is I want to give you an opportunity to go, you know what? I want to be revived. I want to, be, I want to find that passion. I want to find that excitement. Tonight is the night that I'm casting all that stuff out, and I'm allowing Jesus to remove the obstacles, and I'm ready to roll, Will. I'm ready to go. I just need somebody to help me. I need somebody to pray for me. I need Jesus to bring me back to life. Some of you are like, Will, I need Jesus to save my life tonight. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to do it really quickly. I'm going to ask everybody to bow their heads, don't talk, don't poke anybody, just sit there. And I'm going to ask you a question. If that's you, if that's you, whether you want Jesus, somebody to pray for you, if you want somebody to speak truth into your life, if you want somebody to come alongside you tonight and help you think through some things, talk through some things, pray for some obstacles to be removed, if that's you, and you say, "Well, I need prayer," would you raise your hand for me, please? You're like, "Well, I just need prayer." Thank you, thank you. Raise it high. Thank you. All over the room. Raise them high. Will, I just need somebody to pray with me. Thank you, thank you. Put your hands down. And maybe you're the second person. You're going, Will, I need life. I need, a, I need my dead soul to come to life tonight. I want Jesus. I want him now. I want him back. I need him, I need him, I need him. If that's you, will you raise your hand, please? Jesus wants to use you, but you got to allow him to come into your life. If you're saying, Will, I need a relationship with Jesus. I need somebody to pray with me over that. Would you raise your hand? Amen. Well, here's what we're going to do when, when we go back into, into worship. When when song starts playing, I'm just going to ask you, if you raise your hand, I want you to make your way to the next steps area to our your right, my left. So when we stand, we're going to worship, and then you just move as the Spirit leads you. Maybe you didn't raise your hand, and you want to give your life to Jesus tonight. Maybe that's your time to move. Lord, we love you. God, we thank you for your word. God, thank you for those that raised your hand tonight. Would you encourage them? Would you strengthen them? Would you give them passion? all God's people said.